This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. Up with the one and only crew from Hood Medicine. Those of you who are listening to a Monday show for the first time, every single Monday we have this amazing collective that we just happen to run into on them Twitter streets during the pandemic. And I absolutely love them. Hood Medicine is a phenomenal organization, a collective of healthcare workers, advocates, educators who basically use guerrilla style marketing tactics to make sure we're getting access to real information that is relevant to our needs. Joining me today, I'm so excited to have this discussion. First up is Andrea Hancock. Um, Ms. Hancock is a social worker, licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor, and regional overdose prevention specialist who has overcome many personal struggles to become an advocate for women and those impacted by physical and sexual violence. She's implemented successful women's empowerment groups and mentors for juvenile courts, uh, family treatment court, and her motto is, as long as there is life, mm, there is hope. Hallelujah. All right. And she is also Nana uh, to seven grandchildren and very passionate about building support for the elderly in our community who are raising younger relatives. Her personal experience and commitment to supporting vulnerable populations has really highlighted her compassion, her dedication to making a positive difference in the lives of others. And she works uh, with the Black Mental Health Alliance of Nashville to organize and support for the elderly in her community. And joining her is Benias. And I, every time you come on, brother, I always I'm, I'd be struggling with the name so if did I say it correctly this time you got it this Whew, time. hallelujah all right twice in one day two hallelujahs Benias and Sias uh, he's the co-founder of the Black Mental Health Alliance uh, in Nashville and also is a hood medicine mental health ambassador he's an educator small business owner and an organizer he's been here many many times uh, he has a BA in neuroscience because all the hood medicine people are like brainy as I don't know what and we are just grateful for both of them being with us today thank you for both of us we appreciate you joining such an important topic. Now, I, I want to start first with, with just sort of doing some level setting. We're talking about checking in on the elders, and we've talked a lot, uh, Benias, when you've been on before about the youth. We've talked about black boys and elders. We've talked about uh, black girls. We've talked about gender not conforming, and all of it sort of with an eye towards the youth. And it is clear that we also have other elements of our community that need some time and attention. And so today we're going to be talking about our elders. Uh, Ms. Andrea, could you start by first giving us a little bit of background background on your family dynamic and and a little bit about some of the mental health challenges that you and other elders who are raising younger relatives may be facing. All right. Thank you so very much. Yes. Um, I guess a little bit about the background and where this comes from is that um, I now uh, co-parent with a great grandmother who's over 70. She's like 74 years old. Um, five uh, of Five of my grandchildren who uh, parents have experienced and are still experiencing chronic substance use disorder. So um, we started maybe about five years ago when um, um, they were struggling and Department of Children's Services were uh, got involved and the children had to go to placement. Now, um, I have a story. I have a history of uh, substance use disorder. I've been delivered for 17 years now. Mm. So during my time, my parental rights, thank you, my parental rights was terminated. So um, fast forward all these years, uh, post that, um, when the children were getting ready to be placed into state custody, 
Um, they could come with me because I had this termination of parental rights on my record. Although now I work in an advocate in the field, right? But due to that termination that happened over 20 years ago, they could not place the kids in my custody. So the kids went with two great grandparents who were both over that time, at that time, near 70, um, approaching quickly approaching 70. Mm. So um, here we are now where one of the caregivers passed away, actually six months almost to the day of when the state gave them custody of the children. I advocated and tried to get custody of the children, but due to my uh, termination of parental rights, they did not give me custody where I would get, um, you know, a supplemental income like kinship. Mm. I couldn't get that. And so someone had to work and take care of the family, the children, because the great-grandparents want to fix income, and they had taken in five children under the age of now, what, seven? They're the oldest is eight now. Wow. So, again, this has been going on about five years. And so just the end of 2021 is when they gave them custody because the parents were still struggling. So um, it was a lot trying to navigate to provide, to get resources mm. um, for the family. I am a social worker, so I was able to help them navigate some, but it was a lot of missing pieces due to um, them not be, being educated on what they could get from the state. So often what they came out with was five children who they did not, they, who they did not plan to take care of with the, in their retirement, wow. who right. never have had to access resources because they worked their whole life to take care of their children. Here they are with these great grandchildren, and all they received was um, uh, family first for like five hundred. I think it was like five hundred and thirteen dollars a month to care for these children. Wow. So um, yeah, so I see the struggle that the great grandma, because the great grandfather passed away again June of last year. I see the struggle mm. um, that she faced, the struggle that the family faced, as far as again helping her navigate through the resources and access resources that's out there to help her raise the grant, uh, help us raise the, uh, the children to ultimately keep them together and keep them out of state custody. So um, this inspired me um, to, um, so I watched the great, the great granddaddy kind of work himself to death. That's the way I see it. Mm. Um, he knew he had a family to take care of. Again, he's always worked his whole life, so he picked up like extra things. And it's just a lot to care for five children. That's right. It's a lot and to it's- care for five children when you're in your 20s and 30s, let alone when you're in your 70s. I only have two, and I'm barely yeah. holding on, and I'm in a two-parent household. <laughs> so the idea of, of our elders being the folks to whom we look to step in, right, to fill in those gaps because we don't want the children going to the system. And I'm, I'm so glad you were able to share your story. We've had a number of, fam- of par- parent advocates on this show. JMAC for Families is one of the organizations that has been on the show a lot. And she talks about the fact that once you have a term Termination of parental rights. As you said, it can be on there for decades. Now, you're a social worker. You're helping other people get their lives turned around. But because of this thing that happened in your own experience decades ago, you weren't allowed by the state to be able to step in and help support in the way uh, that would have made the most sense considering your age as opposed to that of the great grandparents. Uh, Benias, you know, when we hear something like this, one of the things that always I, I think of so much about the elders who I see on the train or on the buses here in New York City um, and when the young people 
get in and it's just a complete disconnect of clash of cultures, a clash of ages, a clash of what it means to show respect. And you see the elders looking not at the young folk disrespectfully because the young folks be wilding sometimes. But when I think about bringing that element into your home, you have worked for decades, you have sacrificed, you raised your family. And for whatever reason, because life happens, abuse happens, substance abuse happens. And, and it is something that we just have to navigate. And now here you are in your 60s and 70s having to step in to raise young children when you're supposed to be enjoying a vacation or two, you know, get out and relax. There is so much trauma and so much pressure that I would imagine is visited upon our elders in these moments. Can you talk with us a little bit about some of the very unique mental health needs of elders who are called upon to raise their younger relatives and how their particular mental health needs might differ from other populations? Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, it's important to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we have these intergenerational families. So during the pandemic, when, you know, a lot of the financial stress began to happen, who did everybody turn to, right? It was the grandparents. Right. Everybody moved in with grandma and grandpa. And so there's that aspect of, you know, being the hub to support everybody. And then, you know, there's, you know, the different challenges that come with aging, whether it be chronic health conditions, adding to, you know, the mental health challenges, whether it be loss of independence, because, you know, you are aging and your ability to live independently is also changing. Uh, there's the financial stress that we talked about, but, you know, specifically to um, to elderly who are raising uh, younger relatives, there's, you know, having to deal with your own trauma at the same time. Mm. And now you're trying to, you know, make sure that you're taking care of the traumatized children that are under your care. That is, you know, exceptionally hard. And that's, you know, with the stressor of, you know, if anything potentially happens, you're going to lose state custody. Mm. That stress in itself is, you know, mind boggling. And then we got to, you know, think about the school to prison pipeline, because if these children are not getting the kind of care that they deserve, you know, their trauma is seen as misbehavior. It's seen as, oh, these kids just don't care. And they don't get the same, you know, care that other white children uh, would get. And so right. they fall through the cracks and to um, these grandparents having to pick up a lot more pieces and they were doing it alone. Mm. They feel alone. They feel hopeless. And, you know, they didn't ask for the responsibility, but they know this is one that they have to carry out right. because the livelihood of their family is at stake. So it's just a very, you know, tremendously hard place to be. Mm. And um, support is definitely needed. Mm. You know, as I'm thinking about this, we talk a lot about the village, right? We, and we say we that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And I heard someone recently make a correction. And they said, no, it don't take a village to, take a ra to raise a child. It takes a whole village, a healthy village to raise a child. And when I'm thinking about the state of our village and the need to step in to provide supports, not only are we thinking in this moment about the mental health strains and the other sorts of stressors that this provides on our elders, but then I'm thinking, you know, if I'm two, three, four years old and I'm being now, I, I've been maybe you know, gone to a, a few different homes. Maybe I was in the system before I was able to be reconnected with family. I've got my trauma as a two, three, four year old. And then here I go with not my grandmama, but my great grandmama or someone else who might be an aunt, a great aunt. Perhaps you have relationship with them and you know them, perhaps you don't. What are some of the, the stressors that those children are experiencing in this environment? We're grateful for the elders stepping in, but Miss Andrea, I, I think you might agree that that also creates a different dynamic that these children are going to have to navigate. Can you talk with us a little bit about what they experience? from their side as you've seen it as a social worker and in the ways that you advocate for families yes I see it where it sometimes is um 
reinforcing trauma because you have individuals who barely have enough for themselves sometimes that they have to deal with children. So sometimes the anger is is misplaced Mm. and the children children have to bear that. Um, Children, um, what I see often is um, the cultural difference, whereas the great-grandma can't go out to the park. Right. The great grandma can't go to the skating rink. You know, right. I mean, they can maybe, but if they're by themselves or like a sibling group of three or four, maybe five in this situation, I see that the children miss a lot of a childhood. You know, mm. um, having children in, um, ideally, you would like to see children like in sports or you would want to see them in dance class. But due to the, um, the magnitude of the, you know, being inundated with the responsibility of trying to get homework done. You know, we're trying to get the basics, the baths, the, mm-hmm. you know, the. So the children take on that, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, I believe the children see the stress and and the struggle. You know, they can sense that something is not right. Sometimes right. I believe they can sense that this is something that the grandparents or the caretaker have to do compared to what they want to do. So they uh, can sense that as well. Children are very smart and they pick right. up very easily. That's and right. I see my grandchildren sometimes have to carry the burden of being um, the caretaker of the other children. To mm. So all of this, again, is reinforcing trauma, adding trauma, and making them sometimes have to grow up before they can even enjoy a childhood, uh, you know, a a stable or natural childhood, doing things other children do, go out to play, park. And so it's a lot. I see the emotional strain of being with a caregiver, but wondering where's the parent. When they're at school and they see people with their father and their mother, they have to ask the question, where is my? And they, they may ask that question, not verbally, but by action. Mm. And so it appears that they're acting now. Right. You know, so it's just a lot I see that our young population experience or go through, they go through real adult situations. And sometimes they're in, you know, having to make adult decisions, you know, mm. um, not an adult decisions, but decisions, being involved in decisions that they necessarily shouldn't, I believe, be involved with at yeah. such young ages. You know, yeah. watching things on television and knowing this is what a mom do, this right. is what a dad do, this is what this child has on television, but asking themselves, why well, I don't have that. So the anger is turned that that mm. anger is turned inward. So you see you young children dealing with depression, suicidal thoughts, low self-esteem, mm. all these things that you like you don't know. And when you don't have enough for yourself and you don't have a support system yourself, you can't yeah. even take care of the children that's going through these things. That's right. So they grow up and people often say, what's wrong with you due to the behavior? But don't take the time to ask them what has happened to them. And sometimes as a caregiver, you have to be mindful of who you talk to to share what's going on because sometimes people who believe that they're doing the right thing Causes the issue by saying, well, maybe the kids should go to DCS. Maybe I need to make a DCS report. So they call and they make a DCS report because you ask them for help with Mm -hmm. finances, sometimes looked upon as you can't take care of the children. Right. 
So now you're penalized for being poor, even though you're in a system where your little bit of retirement money, which was barely enough for you to sustain yourself, now has to be stretched to include many, many additional mouths. Mouths that are growing, and the more they grow, the more they eat. And, you know, we've had yeah. a number of, of doctors on who have talked with the, and counselors on who have talked with us about the fact that for many black women in particular, depression shows up for us as irritation anger uh, you know that angry stares I, I actually believe this is also true for black men we just need some more of the data to support it but when there's the frustration and the anger and the depression those children don't know big mama is depressed big mama may not even know that she is depressed or that he or, you know that that grandpa or papa is dealing with these emotional burdens one because their emotional needs were not able to be met throughout their lives and now they are forced to step up in ways that frankly they should have a village that is able to help step in and, and support them. When we're thinking about the the way that the village should be showing up, uh, Benais, I, I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, because we ask us that question every day, how does it free us and how does it heal the village? What types of ways should uh, children, child and family services, other support services, what should be happening? And when we are recognizing that what should be happening in terms of providing support for these multi-generational families is not there, what are we supposed to do? Like, what is my obligation as a neighbor, as a, a sister friend, as someone who's trying to be a part of a village and making it better? What is my obligation to recognize when there are families navigating these sorts of stressors? And, and how can we, the village, step in to support in ways when perhaps the state, which is the funded entity that should be doing the supporting, is either unable or unwilling to do so. Mm, that's powerful. And I'm going to start with unwilling to do so mm. because we, uh, we know currently uh, there are uh, Department of Child Services uh, workers who have 120 cases. That's one person for 120 families. Wow. We have an issue of people sleeping like children sleeping on the floor because there are no places to place, you know, where they can actually get beds. Right. So mm. we have the, the system is broken. It's not just broken, but it's intentionally harming, you know, our population. And we need to realize that this is not something that's going to save us. So um, really, yeah, calling on the community, we need to start adopting, you know, grandparents and really, Ooh. you know, start caring for them in ways that, all right, you know, I'm going to check in on you consistently. We need to start tutoring, you know, the young kids. We need to provide mentorship. And that's a lot of the work that Andrea has been, you know, uh, spearheading with uh, mm. us because she knows firsthand. She's seen it and we've done listening sessions to ask, you know, what are the experiences of the community? What are the kind of ways that we can support you? And so sometimes what we have to go back to is understanding that, you know, we shouldn't just create programs thinking that they're going to be helpful. We should ask the people who have been directly impacted, what kind of programming do you need, right? What do you need to feel whole? And how can we come together and support you and rally around you? So it's just, we have to get more invested in our, in our, you know, the people in our community. Mm, I, I love this. Ms. Andrea, let, let's talk about adopting grandparents. What does that look like? What have you seen that works? And and I want to remind, remind people, grandparents are not necessarily gray haired and bent over walking with a cane. I have friends in my peer group who are grandparents right now. So grandparents come in a lot of sizes, a lot of ages. So we're not just talking about uh, people who are visibly appearing the way we stereotypically think about a grandparents. We're talking about people who are in these multi-generational uh, living arrangements as a result of trauma, as a result of, of whatever may have happened. How can we show up for them? What are you seeing in terms of successes for adopting grandparents and supporting them who are in, 
those who are in this situation like this, unexpected, unprepared, and just trying to figure out how to do the best they can for their family. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Lamaya just said. It's time to adopt the village. And so I believe those who we usually go to go to for the help are now the ones who need them. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, if you if you do the um, statistics or you look up about how many families are, are caregivers there have they have this caring for extended family, the numbers are overwhelming. So who we used to look at as the village, the older individuals, they need our help. They need our support. Mm. You know, I think also it's a misconception. Well, you know, you say, but women, Black women are strong. We are very strong. But we also wear very many hats, right? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. on the outside looking in, because we make it look easy, people just kind of be like, okay, well, they're good. They got it. Yep. But how, how does that look? The tutoring for the children helping the aging population uh, uh, navigate through the systems. You know, some of them don't know about computers, right? How to download, upload. And now, that, now that's what you need to be able to do. So having that intense case management, also counseling for them. The services are all a lot of times geared towards the, the children that's brought into custody. And there are some limited support for mm. the caregivers, but actual counseling for the caregivers, actual respite for the caregivers, mm. having this community that's willing to jump in when I have three that have hair for days. So we have to have a whole day and a half because we want them to know that their hair is beautiful. We don't want to perm it. Yes. We don't want to cut it off. Yes. We don't, so we want to, we need people to show up to say, hey, I'll take down some hair. I'll wash some hair. I'll flat some hair up. So, I mean, it's a wide variety of support, of resources mm. that's needed for these families. But mostly the children having access to sustained counseling, meaning um, sometimes when you go to agencies, we know uh, money creates opportunity and choice. So when you don't have that mm. and you only have uh, resources of what's offered to you, um, it sometimes it's hard for them to understand the plights or the ploys of the family. You know, you have a lot of interns who's there for six months. Okay, so we're looking at children who may be who have experienced abandonment already. Mm. So that again. So having people in there for the long haul, because we know relationships are key. Consistent relationships are key. So again, building that support, providing these resources for, and not only financial, it's a lot bigger than financial as well. Of course, we need financial support. Also, having advocates for these families. I noticed that the grandparents are not educated on what they could do or their options. They were not appropriately educated so they got into something uh no they just was willing to take the children yeah but due to yeah. the big turnover with the department of children services the worker wasn't able to explain about okay you can go this route to get the kinship to get a uh, financial support right. other than your life you'll pay being paid every so often every right. six months or, but you know it needs to be a consistent stipend for mm. the caregivers as a supplement but again transportation like for after school programming for the children 
Right. So the children won't fall behind because you think about it. If the grandparents are over 70 years old and right. they have children that's coming in doing homework, a lot of them not even familiar with that homework. Right. So just having that village, the younger individuals or the oldest, everyone bringing their gifts and their talents and their skills together to mm. try to help these families. But it's not a cookie cutter. Every family is going to need something different. They're going to have different dynamics, but there are some basics that I see that they need. Again, the social and emotional support, um, the, the mentoring, the financial, uh, helping them navigate a wraparound case management, but having someone to sit down with them and to help them navigate through those resources. Mm. You know, what my husband's grandfather, we're, we're working to, you know, make sure he's got what he needs, but he's in California. And I'm just thinking about the fact that he, he has a phone that is not, a, it's not the same phone that our phone is. So we're trying to walk him through how to deal with his Android phone while he's 80 something years old. And we say, okay, so we're going to log into this account so that you can make sure you get this done. And they're going to send you a text message. And he says a text message. Like he, that, just that alone. And it, it's so much so that my husband's actually going to California to make sure we can get him set up. But I'm thinking, what if he had children that he's taking care of? He can barely navigate his phone because it wasn't, meant for someone like him to just you know it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world to pick up when you weren't born in the digital era and I cannot even imagine the difficulty and the frustration that our grandparents our elders are experiencing and I'm thinking you know there's kids on my block who I know good and well if they go to my kids school I know there's an after-school sports situation. I, I could bring them kids with me. Like, I could make sure that we're going to get them to. If I know my kid needs homework help, and I know sister so-and-so down the block has three grandkids with her or more kids than she can handle, I can take some of them kids with me to the homework help and make sure that they get it. And if they ain't enrolled because it's a fee, maybe we could do a block support and sponsor, a, create a scholarship, right? So we don't want to make people think it's charity. It's a scholarship. We could put a scholarship fund together to help get them kids the support that they need. But that, uh, Benias, requires a village. Right. That doesn't that's that can't happen with a whole bunch of individuals who live together. That requires a healthy and whole village. And I am just I feel like we're only scratching the surface because this is a very significant issue for so many people within our community. And we don't get enough time to talk about it. So I'm going to let Dr. Hudson know, uh, Dr. Nisi Hudson, know that we may have to do a part two of this because I need to have more discussion about how the village shows up better. Now that we've sort of unpacked what the problem is, we need to be serious about recognizing that if the state is not going to do it not willing to do it can't do it we just supposed to let these people languish no not in a healthy village not on our watch so we're gonna have to continue this discussion uh and i know that you are doing so work so much work so much work miss andrea with nana cares and with the circle the nana circle that you're putting together this is the type of infrastructure that we have to build and i'm saying infrastructure intentionally because just like you need roads and bridges we also need care infrastructure that's going to allow us to ensure that the people who need the care are going to get it. How can we, we're at the end of our, our segment right now, but I just want to know how we can follow and support the work of the Nana Circle that you're doing, Miss Andrea, uh, Benias. Uh, what should we be thinking about? What other things do you have happening? Let, let's make sure that we give ourselves some marching orders, some concrete ways that people can help um, as we, as we go ahead and close out this segment. Miss Andrea, I'll start with you and then Benias will we'll close out with you. Yes, thank you. Yes, needing support of individuals willing to put in the work. Um, this is not a, a, a one time, you know, sometimes we need people that's, that's sustained, you know, sustainable yeah. involvement. Yeah. You know, because we've already had enough of people showing up 
getting out. You know, the yep. people come together bringing their resources. So how you can do that, you can reach out to myself or Benaya. And what do you have to offer? What would you like to offer? You know, what is it that you need if you're someone who's struggling? Um, because there is hope. Because um, there is a need. And it's easy again, and I want to address this real quickly. It's easy for people to say, well, why do their grandparent have this? Sometimes you have to sit down and, and listen to the story. Yeah. You know, um, children right. are, again, like Maya is saying, sleeping on the floor, in and out of this. So families often do it because, again, if these are your choices, what were the options? Mm. So listening to the story, being empathetic, radically empathetic, and also being willing to not only say, oh, well, you know, people, it's an unfortunate situation, but what can you do? Being mm. willing to give back again. Now our aging population elderly need us. Yeah. That's they right. need us. That's so right. reaching out, um, I'm trying to create a resource pool now as far as there's a lot of different resources around what we've mentioned and other things. I'm open to ideas. I'm open to people wanting to help. Because mm. I believe that sometimes God gives one individual the, the vision, but it takes others to fulfill um, that um, thing that one individual is called to do. I appreciate that. And Benias, uh, what what say you in terms of final comment? Uh, so I'll just say um, we have a couple of links in terms of uh, our elder initiative that you can keep up with us and we'll continue to uh, update people uh, on our social media. It's BMHA Nashville. But ultimately, you know, we know that we need infrastructure, a village model to take care of all of us. And and, and we re recognize that. And so we have different initiatives around the elderly, the youth. We have an uh, initiative around HBCU students because we know mm. mental health of uh, HBCU students is also another big issue. Um, the past, I think, three days ago, we actually had someone at TSU uh, die by suicide. Oh. And so just making sure that, you know, we are taking care of the students in our community and letting them know that they're part of the village and we're there for them, regardless of how long they're going to be at the school for. Mm. And so just reiterating the fact that, you know, we're all going through it. It's been tough, but we got to support one another and we got to join each other, listen to each other mm. and, uh, you know, just show up. Mm. I appreciate you both so much for just opening the door to this topic. We're going to have more focus on our elders as we navigate through this year uh, because we have to. This is the village. This is what it looks like. And we, I'm not seeing enough of these conversations and I'm not having enough information about how the village can show up. And so I'm so grateful for both of you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Ms. Andrea. Thank you for sharing your story and your wisdom. And I'm looking forward to the next time we can get you back here to talk more about Nana Circle uh, and all the work that we have to do. The village has to have an infrastructure. And fortunately, we have ancestors uh, and a history that says we're pretty good at building. We're really good at building. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing that in this space. Thank you both for being with us today. We appreciate you. Thank you so much.